Good morning. It's a beautiful, uh, cooler than usual morning. It's a lovely summer day. After two incredible full moons, two nights of last, yesterday was the official uh, full moon, very special one. And today's a beautiful day, so it's a good day to be paying attention. That's the name of the book that Sylvia Borstein wrote uh, that is called Pay Attention for Goodness Sake, for Goodness Sake, Practicing the Perfections of the Heart, the Buddhist Path of Kindness. And it is a lovely book, and I've had it, and I actually got it in autograph by Sylvia back when I was in California. And uh, it's a great book for the paramit Paramitas, which we sometimes call at Blue Lotus the, uh, the Bodhisattva vows. These are the Ten Perfections. Ten Perfections, the, uh, it's kind of our slim down Theravadan Bodhisattva vows. And Sylvia Borstein is a very, uh, wonderful teacher in the Theravadan tradition through insight meditation on the West Coast. So I read the list yesterday of the ten, and her introduction is really good. So I'll start, I'm going to read a little bit more of the introduction. And I think she talks a lot about why, why these are so important to her. So I'm not going to repeat the 10. They'll come up in what we're reading today. Well, I think let's read first today and then we will sit towards the end. So we'll sit the last 15 minutes. When we act morally, and these are all, uh, we're talking about living from these paramitas. When we act morally, we give the people we meet the gift of safety, and untroubled by the pain of guilt, we experience what the Buddha called the bliss of blamelessness. By practicing renunciation, we give ourselves the double gift of modulated desires, itself a relief. And as a surprise, like the toy in the box that makes the Cracker Jack even sweeter, an increased appreciation of what we already have. Think of successful renunciates in 12-step programs, people who have given up a way of life that didn't work well for them, inspiring people, newly contemplating a different life in the same way that the sight of a monk, free of suffering, inspired the Buddha to become a renunciate and then offer his life of teaching as a gift to others. Imagine how our lives might be if everyone had even a bit more of the wisdom that comes from seeing clearly. Suppose people everywhere simultaneously stopped what they were doing and paid attention for only as long as it took to recognize their shared humanity. Surely the heartbreak of the world's pain, 
visible to all would convert everyone to kindness. What a gift that would be. And think for a moment about how easy it is to feel other people's energy levels. I imagine we are all mood antennas. Everyone's personal energy level changes all the time, of course, but some people seem naturally able to transmit by word or deed or even vibe uplifting messages. Celia, one of the clerks in my local Safeway market, seems able, regardless of the news of the day or the mood in the store, to constantly broadcast this message. Take heart, life is good. She initiates conversations, even as she scans my groceries, that indicate her interest in me. Something as easy as, how are you? Our meetings always leave me cheerful. I think Celia keeps her own energy strong by using every possible moment to connect. So she's already given us uh, examples of renunciation and wisdom and energy. Patient people in patience is another. Patient people enjoy the pleasure of saying to whoever is feeling anxious about delays, restaurant servers, clerks waiting on the telephone to get your credit card verified, dry cleaners who are sure your sweater would be ready. It's okay, these things happen. Patience in a rushed world is a shared relief. Witnesses to patient transactions, uh, witnesses to patient transactions, as well as participants, all get to calm down. Truthfulness levels the playing field by giving everyone involved the benefit of equal information. The very act of telling truthfully, as much as we know, makes it as much as we know makes it clear that we feel safe and establishes us as a friend. I think of friendships as relationships without guile in which people give each other the gift of intimacy. Loving kindness depends on forgiveness. It definitely works reciprocally. When I am able to forgive myself, <clears throat> when I am able to forgive myself, which is not always easy. I am kinder to everyone, including myself. And we demonstrate equanimity for each other. Imagine this scene. At the midpoint of a retreat at Spirit Rock Meditation Center, where I teach, I am part of a group of 10 or so people walking silently, as we do in retreat, to the dining hall for lunch. We all stop, as if by tacit mutual decision, to admire a family of two adult quail and 12 very new babies successfully managing to cross the road, watching the father and mother quail scurry and squawk back and forth until they have accounted for all of their babies. There are giggles all around. I am thinking and guessing that the folks around me are also thinking, this is amazing, quail can count. And I'm also guessing, since we are midway through the retreat, 
and we are all surely in touch with our personal sorrow, that in that moment our capacity to appreciate quail is sharing space with whatever pain is in each of our hearts. We know it about ourselves. We intuit it about each other because we all have the same heart. And we are all in that moment just fine. Nothing needs to be said. We go on to lunch, having reminded each other that the heart can hold everything in it, that equanimity is possible, peace is possible. I love her just little uh, little vignettes of what these each of these paramitas mean, and I love especially that she talks about with equanimity. Uh, we go on to lunch having reminded each other that the heart can hold everything in it, that equanimity is possible, peace is possible. And equanimity is that balancing of everything, and I love describing it as the heart can hold everything. It's possible and peace is possible because of that, being able to hold it all. Uh, let's, I want to read a little bit more. Contemporary practice. Accounts of the Buddha's life said to have been told by generations of disciples before they were written down and codified as scripture often begin with the words, thus I have heard, which carry the sense of oral tradition into the present, the teacher to student, elder to novice tone of the narratives invites us into a centuries-old community of storytellers who made the Buddhist practice their own practice. We are in the line of people who heard the story. The sermon called Setting into Motion the Wheel of Truth is the account of the Buddha's first formal teaching after he declared his enlightenment his experience of deeply understanding both the cause of and remedy for suffering. It includes, before the Buddha's statement of the Four Noble Truths, as a summary of his insight, the fact that he gave this teaching to five monks he met walking near Benares. The story told about that encounter describes how the five monks recognizing the Buddha from afar as the person who had formally done ascetic practice with them and disparagingly said disparagingly said disparaging things to each other about him. As one account has it, they agreed among themselves, here comes the monk Gotama, who became self-indulgent, gave up, gave up the struggle and resorted to luxury and only reluctantly agreed to listen to him. That same account describes how at the end of the Buddha's teaching, as one after another of the monks understood the truth of what he had said, the news traveled right up to the Brahma world. This 10,000-fold world element shook and quaked and trembled, while a great measureless light, surpassing the splendor of the gods, appeared in the world. 
the stories my friends and I tell each other about our experience of hearing the Four Noble Truths for the first time resemble, though in 21st century English language idiom, the account of what happened in Benares. My view that I was stuck with my worrying, fearful, often sorrowful mind, the victim of whatever events my life had in store for me, shook and quaked at the news that a liberated mind, a mind at ease and wisdom and filled with compassion, was a possibility long before I had any confidence that I would be able to see clearly. It was thrilling just to know that it was possible for human beings, like the Buddha, who was a human being, to become, through practice, free of suffering. When I teach the Four Noble Truths, I say them this way. Number one, life is challenging for everyone, our physical bodies, our relationships, all of our life circumstances are fragile and subject to change. We are always accommodating. Truth number two, the cause of suffering is the mind's struggle in response to challenge. Number three, the end of suffering, a non-struggling, peaceful mind is a possibility. And truth number four, the program, the Eightfold Path, for ending suffering is number one, wise understanding, realizing the cause of suffering. Number two, wise intention, motivation, inspired by understanding to end suffering. Three, wise speech, speaking in a way that cultivates clarity. Number four, wise action, behaving in ways that maintain clarity. Number five, wise livelihood, supporting oneself in a wholesome way. Number six, wise effort, cultivating skillful, peaceful mind habits. Seven, wise concentration, cultivating a steady, focused, ease-filled mind. And eight, wise mindfulness, cultivating alert, balanced intention, attention. So number eight, wise mindfulness, cultivating alert, balanced attention. Each time I teach the Four Noble Truths, I re-inspire myself. They make so much sense. Every step of the practice path is an ordinary, everyday activity of human beings. I say, look what a feedback loop this is. It's a never-ending, self-supporting system. Any piece of it builds all the other parts of it. The more we understand the causes of suffering, the greater our intention, the wiser and more compassionate our behavior, the clearer our minds, the deeper our understanding of suffering, the stronger our intention, over and over and on and on. I especially like to teach the steps in this one through eight progression 
because I always want to pause and emphasize wise mindfulness. That's because she's putting it at the end even after wise concentration. Paying attention, seeing clearly in every moment leads by way of insight to appropriate response. I sometimes end a Four Noble Truths teaching by saying that was a lot of words, but truly what the Buddha taught was simple. When we see clearly, we behave impeccably. If I want to be sure that I've made the point that acting wisely and compassionately is the inevitable, passionate imperative of the heart that comes from realizing the depth of suffering in the world, that we pay attention for goodness sake, I say it this way, when we see clearly, we behave impeccably out of love, on respect of all beings. I'm going to read just a, uh, one more paragraph and then we'll sit. The journey of a lifetime. It is clear to me that my journey from confu confusion to clarity and from closed heart to open part, heart is one of continual arrivals and departures, a lifelong process that happens over and over again every day. I'm fine with that. I love the story of the Buddha's enlightenment. It inspires me in the way that heroic stories are meant to inspire. The message of the story that arriving at freedom and happiness is a possibility reminds me that I too can arrive even if it is again and again, rather than once and for all. At that experience of clarity in which I am happy, it's easy to forget. I think of myself as always being one mind moment away from forgetting. My experience is that we are all that way. I think one false move. So beautiful writing. And she goes on in her introduction, introducing us to the Paramitas. So let's stop there for today. And maybe I'll skip to her first chapter. But I thought this was beautiful the way she teaches the Four Noble Truths and always includes the Eightfold Path as uh, number four. So, and she lists mindfulness last. And we, we know from reading Deepama, who was an enlightened uh, being, that, sh that that constant total, uh, that constant attentiveness, mindfulness, was what allowed her to be an awakened being. So why don't we sit with the time, just let's just be with our breath. It's good to see everybody. And now together we can sit for maybe five minutes, or maybe a little, maybe longer than that, maybe 10 minutes. So let your posture support you, lift you up, and then relax the body around your 
Let your spine be doing the supporting and lifting. And then relax your body. Roll your shoulders back. Take a two deep breaths. And see if that helps you bring all the parts of you right to this present moment. Bring your body, your mind. My voice gets hoarse. I think there must be allergies going on outside. Now with your upright posture, even if you're laying on your back on the floor, which is fine, you're breathing, the body's breathing naturally more deeply, moving that breathing from maybe high up in your chest if you're stressed, to just naturally letting, letting the body take a deeper breath with each breath. So just observe the body breathing. With each breath in and each breath out, breathe in gratitude and breathe out gratitude. We're alive. We're together. We've discovered the truth of these teachings of the Buddha, taking what can help us May I be happy. May I feel safe. May I be contented. be at peace. May my loved ones be happy. 
May they feel safe. May they be contented. And may they all be at peace. friends, acquaintances, be happy, feel safe, may they be contented. May they be at peace. May all the difficult people in my world, for people who challenge me, frustrate me, push me to my edge of patience, however we want to describe them. May we see them as just other human beings, just like us with their own personalities, their own qualities. May my difficult person or people be happy. May they feel safe. May they be contented. May they be at peace. And may I find peace from complaining about my difficult people, from judging them, from criticizing them. Now just allow yourself to open your heart, open your mind, and just radiate, radiate out these wishes for kindness and friendliness, for all beings throughout the universe, all beings we cannot see, we can't even imagine, for all creatures, all life, 
all beings waiting to be born, all beings dying, all beings everywhere. May they be free from suffering and its causes, free from fear and worry and anxiety, free from hunger and thirst, May all these beings everywhere be able to care for themselves lovingly or be cared for lovingly. And may all beings throughout the universes know peace. And as we go about our days today, may each one of us be aware and mindful of everything we do and say and think, not only for our own benefit, but for the benefit of all other beings. Be a refuge for yourself, and that creates refuge for others. Thank you. So have a beautiful day, and I'll be here tomorrow. <laughs>